Good morning, New Life. How's everybody doing today? Good morning. I get to work with that guy. He's cool. So. Man, uh, we're just going to open up in prayer today. And I, I have a word today that I, I feel like um, it's been on my heart for some time. And I just feel like the Lord wants to do a shift in our hearts today. And so we're going we're gonna to start with prayer. Lord, we honor your presence amongst us. Just as Pastor Justin was saying earlier, we don't want to take it for granted. We recognize today that a holy God is standing in our midst. And so today, Lord, soften our hearts and teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So um, a couple weeks back, uh, I was at a, a my trek group, which is my discipleship group. If uh, if you don't have one of those or you don't know what that is, feel free to ask me at coffee break or another time. Um, I'd love to help you out get one started. Um, but it's a small group of four of us that meet together and just talk about what God is doing in us and through us. And this question came up that we talked through in that group, and then it really started to sit in my heart and in my mind for a couple of weeks. Um, And that question is this, and I would pose this to you today. What is different about you compared to the morally upstanding secular humanist in our world today? What is different about you? These are people who do more good deeds than you, give more money, give more time, and yet they are people who reject God. These are people that believe that human progress can eventually create a utopia society, and so they strive for societal progress in their own power, and these people do wonderful things for the world around us, and sometimes they even do it better than the global church. And so I'd ask you again, what is different about you? This question sat in my heart for, for quite some time, and I think it has to do with how we align our faith walk. And, and what I came down to at the end of this is what's different is that you and I are people that know and walk with God. That is the difference. This is not just about doing good things and being good people. It's about people, there's, there's two kinds of people, and, and Judgment Day will tell us who is who. There are people who knew and were known by God and people who were not. Here lies the fundamental difference between followers of Jesus and everyone else in the world. Followers of Jesus are people who know God and are intimately connected to him. The difference, just as, and this was perfect that Pastor Justin brought this up earlier, the difference is God's presence with us, that we walk with him and he walks with us. And so if I asked you who is God, who is this God that you speak of, There should be a flow of testimony coming out of your mouth from your heart and from your heart about who God is and what he's done, what his nature and character are like, and you should be able to tell me all about his desire to save the world. That is, if you 
know him, and he walks with you. This would come from a piece of you that's different than the world. This eternal and revived and transformed heart inside of you that has had an encounter with God. The church is not a moral institution. And this is like a really important truth, I think, for us to shift in our minds about how we walk out our faith. The church is not a moral institution. It is a holy institution. And so I'll just explain that really quick. Moral is we're doing good things, maybe for my own benefit, maybe for the people around me. Holiness is different. And when we get into scripture, we'll talk more about that. But the church is a holy institution. You are set apart for God's purpose. You are not a good deeds machine. You are a knower of God. The difference between you and the world is that you know God and he walks with you. And this is the bedrock foundation for our perspective of the world and how we interact with it, how we walk in it, who we associate with, how we spend our money. I do this differently because I walk with God. Not because I just want to do good things because I'm a Christian, but because God walks with me and he has a say in the things that I do and how I operate in life. Amen? Amen. We're going to turn to uh, 2 Corinthians 6. I think we're going to pull it up on the screen as well here. This idea, um, we see this, like, so when you look at the whole narrative of Scripture, you see this idea um, that God wants to dwell among his people and the fact that he is holy and pure um, made that difficult from the beginning. And what we see is that Jesus has made a way for us to be close to God again. And so we're going we're gonna to start here. Now this is Paul talking to the church in Corinth about this very idea about walking with God and the idea of holiness. So verse 14 here. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What fellowship can light have with darkness? I'm on the wrong page. There we go. What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Last one here, verse 1 of chapter 7. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 
So this passage starts out with Paul talking to the Corinthian church. They, they, are, they are different now. Now that they have given their lives to Jesus, he's saying, you can't live the way that you lived. You have to live set apart. You cannot be yoked with unbelievers the way you used to be. And let me like just touch on that for a second. This does not mean you're not going to know unbelievers or be friends with unbelievers. There will be people, maybe it's your spouse or your son or your father or mother that are the unbeliever. This does not mean that you won't be associated with unbelievers. But think for a second about who is allowed to influence your mind and your decisions. The philosophers, the artists, the academics, the politicians. Do not be yoked with unbelievers. You cannot let those people shape the way you live. You are holy and set apart for a purpose. You've, been, you've now given your life to Jesus. You've died to yourself. You've been raised up in new life for God to then take that life and make something of it that matters. Amen? Amen. This passage tells us so much about the Christian life and how we are to interact with God. Right? It says here that, now this is uh, Paul referencing um, an Old Testament passage and he quotes this, I, this is God saying, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people, right? This is God's desire. This is what he wants. And when you look at the Garden of Eden in Genesis, you see that. And as you go through the whole narrative of scripture, right? If you were to study this, if you were to read through the whole thing in a year, right? One of those Bible reading plans, you would see Wow, God just really wants to be with his people. And sin and death and destruction got in the way. And then he even made a way to, to triumph over sin and death. For what? For a father to walk with his people. Jesus says that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength. And we see that God's priority is to be amongst us. And so naturally, our number one priority should be to honor the presence of God and to live our lives knowing he is truly present around, among, and dwelling in those of us who believe. The presence of God is a big deal. Right? It's a really big deal to daily walk and have communion with God, and you look like that crazy person talking on the street when you're going on a walk to pray. This is me like every morning. I go out on a prayer walk, and people look at me like I'm crazy, and it's because I'm talking with God because he's there, and I don't want to not talk to someone who's present with me. It'd be really weird for me to go on a 45-minute walk and not talk to somebody standing next to me, Right? And this is the reality that we live in and that we need to grasp is that God is with us. That every moment, God is not off in the sky. He chose to make his home inside of you, right? And then I would say for those of you in here or listening online who are not believers and maybe this is your first time hearing anything about God at all, 
His desire is not to save your soul to send you to heaven. It's to save you from what sin and death did now and then have communion with you. What did it say? To be their father. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters. It would be really strange if a father wanted to be a father, but he said, the day you die is the day I'll take care of you and talk to you. That's not a father, right? The reason I think this is such a big deal is like it impacts every hour of our life. It's impacted every hour of my life, right? And then there are, and, and when you start walking with God, um, honing in on the fact that he's present with me and I'm going to talk to him about every detail of my life, then when you go hours without recognizing God's presence, you see the difference that it makes, right? You, you start to see, my gosh, why am I in a bad mood? Why, am, why do I have no hope? Why am I irritable? Why is the world attacking me and it feels stronger than normal? And it's because I've lost awareness of the presence of God. All right, and so I don't want to say like that we're, we're not doing good deeds as Christians. Scripture makes that clear. But, and, and there will absolutely be an account for our deeds. But these aren't salvation issues, right? Our, our judgment is going to be about intimacy, intimacy with God. Did we know him or not, right? That's what our, our judgment is going to be at the end of our life. Uh, one of my, this passage in Matthew 7, and uh, I want you to raise your hand. I'm going to read it first, and then I want you to raise your hand if this has ever scared you, okay? This is Matthew 7, uh, 21 to 23. Can we get that up on the, the screen here? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the ones who did the will of my Father. Let me go to the next verse. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Raise your hand if that verse has ever scared you. Right? I cannot ever be sure of my salvation because uh, you know, anything could happen and I get to Jesus and I did all these great things and, but he still rejects me and he casts me away. Can we go back to verse 23 for one second here? Key word right here. Then I will tell them plainly, I never what? Knew you. And then he equates, I never knew you to being an evildoer. Not to deeds. But it would be evil to not believe, and so you never knew him. And so I'd say to you, you don't have to let this scare you if your desire is to know God. I'm known by him. And he knows me, and I know him. I know what he's like. And so I don't have to be afraid of this. Um, when I first started walking with the Lord, um, I would say this is about a year and a half, two years into like giving my life to Jesus and, and pursuing the Lord. And um, I, I met this amazing group of people, um, young people that were pursuing God with everything they had. And this was like 
people that were, go most of them were college students at UNE at the time, and I was living in Portsmouth. And, um, and so I go to this Bible study. I had gone there a few times. It was like a Bible study and worship thing that went late into the night, and it was actually at like a barber shop that was a basement business. So you go down this sketchy little stairway into this barber shop, and there we would have like this Bible study and worship time from like seven at night past midnight. Um, and it was this cool time. I had done this a couple of times with them, but I went one night with a friend. And um, we get into this long worship time, and I remember just going to sit down in a corner to pray. And about an hour goes by, and I'm just giving myself to the Lord, and I'm waiting for the Lord to speak, and I'm not hearing anything, and I'm waiting. And eventually, towards the end of this time period, I hear the Lord say to me, you know a lot about me but you don't know me, right? And I, I took this, and, and it was really interesting because normally that would sound like a really strong, rebuking word, and it didn't feel that way at all. It felt like the Lord was inviting me into a journey. Um, and so I was excited about that, even though that doesn't sound like the kind of word you want to hear from God, um, especially after reading that. Um, <laughs> And so I tell my friend about it, and we went at the same time, and he's like, and his, uh, he says, no way. I heard that exact same thing, right? So like, one, our minds are blown, right? So we're talking about that, we finish out that, and then um, he came over with me to my house that night, and we talk like late into the night about what God is doing. And, and this experience, right, after this, I began to crave knowing God and desiring to learn everything I could about him, like not just the academic knowledge of like times and, and dates and things about Israel in scripture, but like, Lord, who do you say that you are? Right? Kind, compassionate, the perfect judge. Like, like who are you? And I began to crave that and, and seek that, and I wanted to know, but then not just... No, right? So when it says to know in the Old Testament, that's an intimate word, right? That's a marriage intimacy word. Like, I want to know God. Like, I know my wife. I want to know God like I know my kids or my parents. I want to intimately know, right, God. That's the calling. That's what God has led me into. That's what God's calling all of us to do. So I went on this journey, right? Anything anybody would say or have learned about God, I wanted to know. Friends, family, YouTube videos, it didn't matter, right? And then I came across this verse, and this is uh, John 17, 3. And I would say this is probably the verse that has changed my life the most, this one small verse. So this is Jesus in his high priestly prayer, and he says this. Now this is eternal life. Love that. It's a definition. When scripture gives you a definition, good stuff. That they know. You, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is not dying of old age and going to be with God. Eternal life is knowing who God is. And he's eternal, so the knowing will never end, and we will continue beyond life into that. But 
what I want to communicate today is you start eternal life now, right? Just like we were just singing, right? Eternal life starts the second you encounter Jesus. Your whole life is transformed and flipped up, up, upside down. I can't live the way that I did before. It just doesn't make sense. It's not life-giving. But then there's this whole other path of knowing who God is. And the more I know about Him, the more I am set free from the effects of the world and sin. My soul is cleansed. I feel like I'm headed in a path where I can make a difference with God in the lives of the people around me. I can worship. I can know Him. And I know that I have a Father who's present with me all the time. That is what eternal life is. Knowing God is the reward. If there was something I would communicate today, like one thing to take home, it would be this verse and then this. Knowing Him is the, is the reward. If streets of gold and mansions are why you want to go to heaven, you will be out of place when you get there. It will not be the place for you. Why? Because everybody that's there, the only thing that matters to them is Jesus. Amen? Worshiping at his feet, prostrate, weeping for eternity. Why? Because of how great and glorious and wonderful the lamb that was slain is. And then to be able to see that without anything getting in the way and to see it for what it really is, like this is who Jesus is, that's the reward. So if that's the case, Right? We'll go back to uh, 2 Corinthians 6, and I'll just read it for you here. Verse 17, Therefore, so because that's true, that God wants to dwell amongst us, right? Because that's true, verse 17, Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters. The calling for us um, is to be holy, to prioritize the presence of God in our lives. And because we prioritize that, everything that is unholy begins to fade away. I've said that my life is His, and now because of that, I'm going to reorient everything about my life to fit the fact that God walks with me. I want to be set apart. I want to be useful to God, right? Don't, you want to be useful to God. I don't want him to speak and me not understand or not hear because I was not attentive to his presence, right? And I would say if you follow Jesus, Scripture says clearly that you know his voice. And so if you say or you walk in a season of life where you're not hearing God, I would challenge you. Look at your life through the lens of, am I set apart for purpose? Am I set apart to know God and walk with Him? Maybe I haven't heard, not because I don't know the voice of God, but because I just like this whole pile of things to speak into my life, and so there's no room for God to speak. Right? I just like those voices more than I like the calling and the conviction of God. Right? The church is set apart and holy to do God's purpose. 
Behavior modification would say you can know God when you are better, but the gospel actually shows us it works in reverse. When we know who God is, we have a strong desire to please Him and put aside all things that would hinder us from knowing Him. We must align ourselves with God's priorities. And so I would challenge you, take what you do know about God and anchor your whole life around it. What have you encountered about God? What have you read that has made a difference in, in how you move in your life, right? Take those things, build your life on them, meditate on them daily. Don't let days go by without talking. To, don't let hours go by without talking to God. But if that's too big of a step, don't let days go by without talking to God. Today, this message is titled The Holy Knowing, and the challenge that I feel for, for us as a church, right, um, we have such a beautiful church that God has done such an amazing work in, and I feel like the next step for us that God wants us to take as a family is to learn to prioritize His presence. That's the next step for us, and that will be, that has to be the priority, prioritizing God with us. And then by doing that, we will be holy and pleasing to God. We're going to have the, the worship team come back up, but I've got some, um, just some practical steps for you um, to begin your journey of knowing God and cleansing ourselves from defilement, the things that speak louder than the voice of God. The first one is to pursue holiness. What does holiness mean? It's a strange word. We don't use it very often. What does it mean? It means set apart, knowing my life is not my own. Look at your life and understand if I've given it to Jesus, it's given away. It's not mine anymore. And I could choose to take it back any time that I want. But when you truly encounter God, do you, do you want it back? Do, do you want control of every aspect of your life like you used to have? have? I don't. The things that God's been able to do in my life, just amazing. And I would say pursue holiness. Look at your life through that lens. Is every aspect of my, my life set apart for God to move? Number two, fear the Lord. Countless times in Scripture we see manifestations of God or His messengers. And the first instinct of mankind is what? Fear. It is right to stand in the presence of God and to fear and tremble at His glory and His holiness. He is so pure, right? What kind of fear? Like staring at the sun. That's how pure and bright and holy He is, right? Let us learn to fear the Lord. Number three, do not trample on holy things. Now, I don't mean things themselves, like this table, being holy, Right? Like, oh, don't bump into the offering boxes. They're holy. That's not what I mean. What I mean is taking it for granted. I come into church and I have a couple good like, conversations with some friends and I didn't really listen to the sermon and I didn't really talk to God in worship and like, but it, it felt good to go to church. The church is God's gathering of his people to meet with them. Don't trample on holy things. The things that God has 
told you are set apart for his purpose. Right? Begin to take them seriously again. Begin to take them back from the complacency. Number four, be aware of his presence. Right? As soon as you wake up in the morning, Lord, Scripture says you're here. Thank you for being here. Meditate on that thought as soon as you wake up. When you start to realize there's too much of you in your actions and not enough of God, God, you're here. James says you give wisdom when we ask. I need wisdom, Lord. You are wisdom. You are with me. I need you. Right? Be aware of his presence. Engage with God at all times. Remain sober and clear-minded so you can hear the whisper of the Spirit. God is not off somewhere in the clouds. He is united to you and dwelling inside of you. How long has he been right beside you without you having an honest conversation with him? The last one, I would say, grow in understanding. And then make that understanding the bedrock for how you interact with the world. What do I mean by that? Know who he is. Specifically passages that, that it's God saying who he is or desires to be. Right? This is a perfect place to start. 2 Corinthians 6. Right? And this is 16 through 18. I will dwell among them. He wants to be with you. I will walk among them. He's not going to leave you as an orphan. He's going to walk with you. Right? I will be their God, not just your friend, your Lord, right? He will be over you. And they shall be my people. He's taking ownership of you. Come out from among them and be separate. Holiness is a big deal, says the Lord, right? Do not touch what is unclean, and I will what? Receive you. He wants you close. And then I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters. That's three verses but that tells you so much about who he is, right? Meditate on that. Dwell in that truth, right? Until you operate, until that becomes like how you subconsciously think about God. Oh yeah, of course God's my father. He treats me like his son or daughter all the time, right? Until it becomes that, that place where you know so well that it's subconscious, The last thought, this is in uh, Revelation 19. Let me go there real quick. Right, so we talk about this whole narrative of Scripture from beginning to end, right? It starts in the Garden of Eden, and God wants to dwell with us and walk amongst us, and then sin, and we're separated from God, and then He, he gives us the law, so there's at least some contact between us. And we realize that the law is not enough. We need a redeemer. And so we have Jesus who dies for us and redeems us, right? And then the end of the story, this is where this is headed. Revelation 19, starting in 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. So this is ending, right? History is ending, or at least your life, if history is not ending by then, your life is ending with a marriage, the marriage of the Lamb. 
And when we start to view our relationship and walk with God as marriage, that puts a whole different like, perspective on this. Would you marry somebody you didn't know and expected to get to know 80 years later when you die? No, that's weird, <laughs> right? Know him now. Eternal life is knowing him now. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife, you, the church, has made herself ready. And this, is, I feel like, is the, is the calling. This is making ourselves ready. Okay? To her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linens is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. I fell at his feet to worship him. Know God, and then you will be able to do the things that please him and that are righteous acts. But it starts not by doing, but by knowing. Amen? We're going to have a closing song, if you'd uh, stand with me. And in this closing song, we're just going to open up a, a time for prayer here at the altar. If, uh, if any of this has rung true to where you're at in your life and in your walk with God, I would invite you to come um, in a spirit of repentance. Lord, I want to know you. Knowing you is the reward. Knowing you is the most important thing. So I'm just going to start with prayer and then we'll, we'll um, get into our closing song here. Jesus, I just thank you so much for the work that you've done in us. Scripture says you draw near to us. You didn't leave us as orphans, but you gave us the Holy Spirit. Lord, you are with us. You're not, you're not off in a cloud. You're not ignoring requests or conversations. Lord, I would, I would just ask now that you would soften our hearts, that our hearts would be able to receive that our hearts would be able to hear. Thank you, Lord.